We are back on another edition of the Southern Ontario Dirt Show podcast. It's Jonathan Howe alongside Travis Cunningham on episode 78. Uh, we'll have part two with uh, the gunslinger, Ryan Hunsinger, later on in the episode. But first up, we got a lot of racing to recap. And uh, for, we should also mention, uh, shout out to the Willard family. We kind of did not talk about uh, the 77 family number. There's too uh, many seven sevens. I know. That's what I was thinking. I was like, because I at first there's I was no thinking, current Willard running seventy seven. That's why I gapped it. But BJ Willard, Bill Willard, Tammy Willard. Yeah, all huge I was th- staples at Merrittville. We yeah, totally and I, I think of the triple seven because of Cody running it for his dad this year. So that's where my brain went when I was thinking about it. Yeah, and Tyler too. So, um, but yeah. So on to seventy eight. Who do you got for uh, for the number seventy eight? Ah, uh, well. When I used to go go to the go-kart races recently with Trevor Evans, uh, he used to race against number 78, Nigel Pendoski, and I'm pretty sure him and his dad are on the Sittler crew. So and he's a real good go-kart shoe. So that's one of the only ones I could think of. So Nigel Pendoski, local go-kart boy. Uh, I'll go with the uh, the Sonnenbergs that ran at Humberstone. Was it, uh, I'm trying to remember who was, the, were they brother or father's son? Was it Harry father and Pat? Son. Yeah. And Harold which one and was Pat, the elder? Yeah. Harold, yeah. Harold's the father. Yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, like I'm in the coupe sure... days of Humberstone. And then Pat ran that car in the vintage cars back before they turned into like current modifieds with vintage bodies on them. Yeah, and I'd have to check um, the spelling on the last name, but I think I went to high school with potentially either like kind of like a, a cousin or a, nie- a nephew or something like that. But because there were Sonnenbergs at my uh, Sonnenbergs in my high school. And for whatever reason, I feel like I remember one of them stopping me and talking to me about racing and how it was a family thing. <laughs> so I could be just making that up in my head, but I feel like I've got that memory. So uh, speaking of memory, there's a lot to cover here in terms of uh, racing this week. Um, I mean, last couple weeks, really, we had racing the night we were recording from all tech. So let's start with uh, this short track super series. Um, you called it as the, uh, the shepherd Williamson and, uh, and Friesen show. And we didn't quite get that uh, on uh, on the night on uh, that was night three of the sunshine swing that I'm looking at here where Matt Shepard did win, but Larry white and Eric Rudolph uh, round out the podium on that, uh, that third night of the sunshine swing. Yeah, all tech, uh, all four night. Like the tr- Matt had brought his small block, Williamson, his spec small block, and uh, it wasn't going too good for him the first three nights. One night he got in a big wreck. There was a big wreck on the second night or whatever. He ended up with a podium on the third night, and then uh, yeah, Shepard won the three other three of the nights. Friesen won one of them, but the first night I can't even remember what went on in that one. I think it was just the Matt Shepard show. Mm-hmm. Or no, him and Larry White did put on a good race the one night too. There's so much racing crammed in that I've watched. Yeah, that's why yeah. I'm looking like I'm looking at the Sunshine Swing night three. And then and that's where Larry James Friesen, second. he won the sports and race second night. That was Yeah, he did. Our biggest deal locally. Can't forget that. Mm. What else happened at Old Tech? Matt Shepard. Well, I Stuart was going to say I was going to say you mentioned that it was a pretty rough time for uh, Matt Williamson. Um, for some of us who may not be as technically savvy, um, explain the engine choice that he made and why <sighs> you kind of thought it didn't really pay off for him in the end. 
Okay, well, sit down because to explain the Short Trek Super Series engine rules, it's going to take about an hour because there's so many <laughs> different combos. I need the uh, Coles notes. It, I need to flip through it. Yeah, they used to call it the Working Man Series when it first started because it was like good money to start and all that. But now with all the engine combos, they call it the Working Man Series because you got to work six jobs to afford all the engines, different kind of combo engines you need. But uh, so like basically you could run a big block and open small block, which I think is the choice of most racers. So basically like a small block with, with uh, open heads, like you can put 18 degree heads on it. You can basically build a late model motor with a steel block. And uh, then there's the spec small blocks that they get a big, huge weight break, like the W16s in SST, I think like way super light, like 2275. And then the spec small block, gets a super big uh, weight break too. That's where Matt was thinking. And last year, I think it was a little bit slicker during the opening two nights. And that's what he was hoping for. That's what he said in all his interviews. And it didn't really get slick like he was hoping until the last night. And who knows what would happen the night he got in that wreck because he ran pretty good in his heat that night and then very first corner. She was all tore up. So, yeah, so he was definitely didn't like his engine choice the first night, but it did come to him on the last night. And, yeah, that engine, all that, all those things. Like I am like I say, most people had open small blocks, or I'm pretty sure Shepard runs out. Like that one's even got the, they got W16s, but like a bigger W16. They got like a 454 version of the W16 or whatever, like a Wagner LS base thing. And that's what Shepard runs. Like, yeah, there's easily eight different combinations on the short track super series that you can run. And for the normal fan, yeah, it can be a little confusing because they all have different weights and all that too. Definitely. But uh, either way, not the necessarily the season opener that, uh, Matt wanted to have in the modifieds, although he got a little bit of redemption later on. If you're going to have a good night, at least it's on the last night. I'd rather have my good night on the last night than the other way, than like your good night on the first night and the rest. I'd rather have it the way he did it. Yeah, you want to trend up, right? So he didn't like to trend up. um, you get you did get your pre- your prediction right on the final night here at the short uh, short track super series modifieds because Friesen ended up getting the win over Shepard that night with Williamson rounding out the podium there. So, um, but I did want to mention, was down. but Matt was, I was going through the field with a small block. Yeah, and I wanted to mention before we got into more modified talk because I'm trying to go almost in like chronological order of of the time and the dates that we missed here. So I'm looking at um, we probably should talk about the. Uh, World of Outlaws at uh, at Volusia. Um, they, those races happened Definitely. February seventh and February eighth, so th- that would have been the uh, first night at. No, nope, there's four of them. Yeah, so those are the seventh. first two at. Yeah, sorry, yeah. first two, and then um, I was gonna say, and then it worked out that the the next two were on the weekend, right? So, um, yeah, but the first two were the Wednesday, Thursday. Um, and those would have been before the nights we're talking about. And I don't think I'm trying to remember what night we recorded last. Cause I feel like you might've been watching that opener from the world of outlaws while we were recording. Yeah. I think, I think it was the Thursday. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely was. Yeah. Yeah. Cause Brad, cause Brad Sweet ended up getting the win over Tyler Courtney and David gravel. Yeah. Um, and you know, of course, you know, we already get the, the, the chirping back and forth has begun between, High limits mm-hmm. in World of Outlaws about which guys are winning what. So not a surprise, I guess, to see that. But, um, uh, you know, David Gravel steps up and he gets the better of Rico Abreu on the second night. Uh, Justin Peck rounded out the uh, podium there. And then it kind of went back the other way with Tyler Courtney uh, grabbing the win over Rico Abreu and Brad Sweet. That one, Rico, I think, that had night, pretty much in the bag, right? Yeah. Led the whole thing pretty much until the last corner. And he jumped the cushion. Even the good guys step on their wiener every now and then. And yes, Rico <laughs> did that night for sure. 
Yeah, it happens to the best of us, right? Uh, and the final mm-hmm. Saturday night, the February 10th night at uh, Volusia for the World of Outlaws Sprint Cars, Sheldon Hodenschild uh, gets the win over Anthony Macri and Brad Sweet. There's another thing, yeah. Sheldon, on the practice night earlier in the week, threw like a slide job in practice and junked a guy. And he was getting a lot of heat for that earlier in the week, so he needed that to win to shut everybody up. Uh, I was one of the guys giving him heat for that slide job move because I'm always saying Sheldon's one of those guys if he backed her down a notch, I feel like he'd win more races most times because uh, the number of races he's uh, been leading and wrecked himself in the last couple of years is definitely in the double digits. But got her done at Volusia, and he definitely needed to after that controversial slide job in a practice session. Yeah. Well, he's got the opportunity now, right? So we'll see how it uh, plays out for him. Um, let's get into, we're on the top of the sprint cars. So let's talk about the high limits, uh, and recap that, uh, first race of the season went to Kyle Larson. He won it over Cole Macedo and Tanner Thorson. That was the matinee show, right? That was, they got rained out and then pushed to, I think it was Monday afternoon or Tuesday afternoon. Yeah. It rained out and then pushed whatever. I think it was Tuesday to the next night and they ran that one first and, uh, Yeah. East Bay was pretty much just a big cushion around the lip on that one. It ended up being a good race between Larson and Tanner Thorson. And uh, yeah, there's a bunch of them up there running for the lead, but Mm -hmm. Larson was able to keep it for that one. But uh, the second race for him didn't go too well. That's for sure. No, it didn't. But we should point out that uh, Sam Hayford Teep Jr., who we've seen up uh, north of the border as recently as the uh, Northern Spring Car Nationals in the 360s, uh, he actually was in the the field for this one and he uh, ended up finishing ninth after starting seventh. So, um, that was in the first feature and the, uh, second of the battle at the Bay, $15,000 to win, uh, went to uh, sunshine. Tyler Courtney gets it done over Corey day. Another good run for him and Brad sweet, uh, Zeb wise fourth and Brent marks ran out of your top five there. That one was Corey day led and then sunshine eventually got him. Sunshine's real good at East Bay. Usually wins one when the all-stars would go there. Uh, Larson on the, yeah, like I said, he stunk the second one up. He was supposed to start third, gotten a jingle, like coming to the green and they were going to like, he kept it going and they were going to try to give him his spot back for the initial restart, which I thought was going to be bull crap anyways. I don't like, I hate, like if you spin out an initial start, even if you keep it going, you shouldn't get, but anyway, his tire went flat. So he ended up having to go tail and then he got, he ended up spinning out once and getting in another wreck. So yeah, even the, see, even the great ones have bad nights. Yeah. Absolutely. You're never going to have a good and the bad win rate. And there's another scenario. If I ever were to win a feature on a double, like a double feature night, I'd always want it to be the second one. Cause if you win the first one and suck on the second one, the ride home still going to suck. Even if you won the first one. Yeah. Cause that's what have you done for me lately? Only good as your last race. So that's why I hate double feature nights. Uh, I wanted to ask, do you want to jump on uh, and talk a little bit about uh, World Outlaws, uh, the case construction late models? Like we don't talk a lot about late models on this show, and sometimes I wonder why, because I feel like they kind of can give us some, some good race and action here and there. They definitely give us good action. I love watching them. The bodies on the cars have gotten crazy and all that, like, they're all pretty aero-dependent, but when you give them a cushion... Aero-dependent doesn't really matter, and Volusia definitely put on a good race with all the big cushion it's had. And one night, they had a huge wreck. I know that. Bobby Pierce got a flat coming to the green, I think. Uh, who won? I know Devin Moran won one. Mm. Nick Hoffman a lot won of shot the, uh, stuff Thursday. In the late model world. Yeah, that was a big one. Everybody loves Nick Hoffman. But, like, the late models have been having a bunch of controversy lately with shocks, where, like, through-rod technology is banned. So... 
shock companies started to build shocks with three rod technology, but just hiding the through rods. Mm-hmm. So then they banned those and then called it three rod technology was all banned. So Blade Mall has been going through a whole bunch of stuff. I'm not quite up on it. I had to ask Dalton Slack to fill me in totally. But uh, yeah, that's all I got on late models. I don't, I love late models just oh, when you're watching sprint cars and modifieds, there's not much time to watch anything else. It gets really crazy really quickly when in world air racing when you're trying to keep up, keep up on the stuff. Like, you know, I I've got even some of the drivers that are moving over and jumping different race cars, like Max McLaughlin, right? I was like, oh yeah, he's in he's running late models now, and uh, you know, he didn't have a uh, a super impressive a showing, night, I guess or... you could say. But he he gained six but spots. I'm looking night. at the second night, and he ended up 21st after starting 27th. So. You know, for a guy who doesn't have a ton of late model starts, from my understanding, I'm glad to see him moving forward through the field, right? Especially with how good the uh, case construction late models series is. I feel like it's a really, uh, everybody in that series, they don't come to play. They are, are, are professionals and they will absolutely go hammer down with you at any time. So uh, I'm going to try to keep my That's eye on some about late, late model stuff. I'll tell you the one thing about late models I like the best is that the world of LA late models don't put a race restriction on their drivers. No, like if you're in the late model world, there's no race restrictions. Go run whatever you want, and that's what it should be in the sprint cars. Yeah, Let's go. Well, I don't think you'd have uh, the dramatic war that's developing. Like you, you, we were talking off air, and you kind of wanted to touch on how you're not really loving uh, the Twitter beef thing between High Limit and and World of Outlaws. Well, it's not even a beef. It's more High Limit just poking the fun that their drivers were doing a lot of winning in Volusia. Not just just. Does that really need to be done? Like, do I don't know? They're already kicking their butt with the payouts and stuff. I don't know. Yeah, Twitter right. beefs drive me nuts. Anyways, it's like, is that really? Is that where we're at in the racing society? I'd rather them like make a video of beefing in the pits, like face to face. Yeah, doing like that internet crap. Yeah, or I want like a, a direct one to one battle. Like, I would love to see. Like, don't let don't have the series account do the talking. Have David Gravel get out of the car and be like, yeah, we. Us World of Outlaws guys are here to defend our territory yeah, or turf, I'd much whatever, right? It that way. Yeah, let it be Twitter. between the drivers if you're going to have beef. I don't think the series needs to get uh, into it, you know? Can you imagine, like, the NHL or the NFL chirping another league because of something that happened? Like, I yeah. just, you know, I don't know, man. I don't, I don't love, I don't love that as much. Flow bankrolling high limit, they wouldn't even exist, so there's that. Although I'm sure that they're going to put on good races. And I do think the flow, uh, the high limit, you might as well just call it the flow series. The high limit series uh, does have a deeper field. But like the Outlaws has more banger names a little bit. Like the big names in high limit is like Larson, Rico, Courtney. Whereas the Outlaws still have Gravel, Macedo, Chewhart, Shots. Mm. So to me, the bigger names still goes to the Outlaws. But I think through the field, it's better where guys like Peck and... Brent Marks, and it's definitely a little more filled out on the high limit. Yeah, I I don't mind the competition. Like I, I I'm glad you guys want to. Yeah, but get Josh Jackie in person. No Twitter. Yeah, exactly. Let's have it. Let's have it play out on the racetrack, and let's. You know what? Somebody who's got deep pockets out there that really, if you really want to get crazy, have like a almost like a summit series where it's four races from the World of Outlaws, four races from the high limit calendar. Guys can show up to both. And let's see whose series drivers come out on top in terms of trying to trying to win. I think that's be... the main thing I hope happens between high limit versus outlaws is the outlaws drop their four race limit. 
Yeah, like I have some kind of world have some kind of world series of sprint cars or something like that where it's it's a, the best of both, best on best and you know what, at the end of the day whoever has a driver come out on top, they're going to get to say they're the better series or whatever. You know what I mean? Like I just think there's I think there's something creative you can do with it besides just going at each other on on Twitter or about who's having success where, right? So um, but ultimately, uh, sprint cars are back and back in a big way. And we've got two major series to watch. Healthy. It's healthy. Absolutely. I saw uh, a rumor today. It's just a rumor. I saw it on the internet. But I saw, I saw it on Twitter. <laughs> but like I, a dirt car might buy ASCS. Ooh. It's just a rumor. But oof, kind of makes sense. Because I know ASCS is struggling. I'm sure they're looking to sell. Hmm. They've been having a rough go. And then ASCS announcer just left for USAC. Interesting. Yeah, definitely interesting. That one's got to play out. That's just a rumor right now, but I was reading that one, and it's kind of ma- it does make a little sense in my head. If that were to happen, I could see Dirk Carr maybe wanting a three sixty thing. Who knows? Yeah, I don't. I yeah, that would be really interesting. Just like it would be great for the shows. I think to like kind of align that way. I have no idea. Like I say, it's just the, I don't know how they would do it if that it did happen. Cause like right now you call it an ASCS national series, but to me, it's like a Midwest series. It's like all Texas and it's nowhere near here. Barely ever doesn't come up here at all. So all the races, when D-Dubs was on the series, he had to race like drive like 14 hours was the closest one. Yeah. Although back then they, yeah, most of them were all 14 plus hours away. So not much of a national series really if you ask me. So yeah, the American sprint car series going more national. Like I've been saying, 360s are hurting compared to 410s right now. Yeah, for those who don't know, we're talking about the American Sprint Car Series. And I kind of think that makes a lot of sense for the dirt. Like, you know, again, like going back to my involvement in playing the the dirt game, like 360 is a is a level that you can pass through in career mode and whatever else in that World of Outlaws uh, Dirt Car Series game. So, like, why not have a 360 series under your banner and really embrace that as a feeder into the 410 world, especially if you're trying to like, imagine you imagine you have that alignment and you have that feeder series where on a national stage. Now there's somebody, a driver or two or three from the three sixties can move up to the four tens, maybe each year. Then you really don't have to worry about high limit guys, like guys jumping ship to, to go to high limit because you're developing your own talent. Could be what they're thinking. Like I said, this is just a, we're spinning off a rumor I saw today on a rumor page, but I like the rumors. I I, I, I like it. That one makes a little sense to me because I know there's no way ASCS is financially sound the way it's been going because they've been murdered with the rain outs the last two years. Like there's no way that didn't kill them. Yeah. Like I swear they had to rain out half their races last couple of years. So mm. that can't be good. And the new guy just bought it. So I forget his name. So I'm that makes a lot of sense to me. Interesting. I could see at least an alliance or a partnership forming up there for yeah. sure. Um, we should jump right into basically what takes us up to date, which would be the uh, Super Dirt Car Series. Uh, they raced starting on Valentine's Day last week, Wednesday the 14th, 15th, 16th. They were rained out on the 17th. Uh, again, Matt Shepard, kind of the uh, star of the show. However, our boy Matt Williamson did end up grabbing a gator while he was down there on the Thursday night. Yep. Uh, he, yeah. And he won the overall Gator as well. The points one that was cut short due to rain because Matt mm-hmm. Shepard, the night that money Matt Williamson won on Thursday, he finished eighth 
And I think Matt's worst finish was a fifth. So even though Matt won all the uh, Shepard won all the other races, our Matt won the Big Gator Championship. So that was definitely a good turnaround for him. Uh, from Alltech, he always wins a race at Volusia. So keeping that streak going. Yeah. The one night Larry White had the biggest meltdown I've ever, one of the biggest meltdowns I've ever seen where he's leading the race, looking like he's going to win. Comes up on a lap car of Brett Hearn. And if I'm Brett Hearn, man, it's got to be a tough look feeling like you're a lap car. Like, I understand, like, Teal's got, like, no drivers. So, like, he has to go out there and do that for any R&D possible, like I'm thinking. But, like, man, if I was him, I would have retired when I won that world finals race a couple years ago. Like, that would have been a way better way than be a lap car. Anyway, Larry White gets caught up with him and basically stops in three and four. They basically wreck, but White gets her going. And then comes down the track, and Rudolph was just passing him for the lead after all that, because White had a pretty big lead. Yeah. So he caves Rudolph's door in. I'm sure that got maybe a bit of the exhaust I had to have. Rudolph still held on for second overall. But then, yeah, White, instead of just trying to take it easy through turn one and two, which is easy to say after the race and not being in the car, but uh, I'm sure he's thinking that now. Should have just took her easy through one and two, feel the car out. But he sent her into one and two, like Larry, Lightning Larry does, and hit the cushion wrong and barrel rolled it. So... That was a hell of a straightaway or turn one, turn four to turn one for old Larry White. Yeah. That's bad for him. That's rough. Yeah, it was a rough ride. I mean, it Tough doesn't look. look like it was yeah. a fun, fun trip down the straightaway at all. So, um, but let's, uh, let me, let me give you the podiums here from uh, each night. So the opening night went to Matt Shepard, Anthony Perego. Eric Rudolph has had a really strong, but kind of quiet start to the modified season in both short track super series and super dirt car series. So uh, I think he's going to be somebody that we need to keep an eye on in, in in this year. You know, uh, we saw him get a win in one of the slack cars last year and that Northern swing that the super dirt car series had. So Rudolph uh, is top five dirt modified driver right now. There's no doubt. Yeah. Right. So, uh, and he definitely drove like it down there. Uh, second night, we mentioned it went to Matt Williamson. Anthony Perego brings it home. Second. Once again, Larry white third. That's good too. Yeah, he's been having, he's coming on strong as well right now. And shout out to Larry White. I mean, he was competitive down there. That's for sure. He's fast. He was super fast in Alltech too, but. Yep. Uh, Yeah. Third night, Matt Shepard gets the win over Eric Rudolph, Matt Williamson on the podium. And that is enough for Williamson to clinch the, uh, the big gator well down there. So that was awesome to see. And the Super Dirt Car Series now, we got to wait until uh, the end of March when they're at New Egypt Speedway in New Egypt, New Jersey. Uh, for the power in the pines, that's the next time we'll see the uh, the big blocks hit the dirt. Uh, a little bit, of, a little bit of time before the next big races, Travis. Yep, not that much. What's that? Oh yeah, it's still over a month, but the year before yep. you know it. Yeah, and then uh, I think let me see if I got this here. The short track super series. I don't know when they are back next. Let me grab the schedule. Ooh, I know uh, that Port when... Royal, March seventeenth or something. March sixteenth because that rain out. It's 50,000 to win the rain out from last October, whatever they call that race. Speed well, I'm actually, I'm seeing one more before actually in Georgetown, the, uh, the Georgetown, the Jake Marine Memorial, uh, that's happening that. March 9th. And then there's also an open practice oh, the yeah. night before. Um, but yeah, they're, uh, they're going to be down in Delaware before they head to Port Royal. So you are correct. The Port Royal is coming up on the schedule, but we'll get, uh, two I'm short track super series cause... races. I think some locals are going to Port Royal, so I can't say who. I'm not, I won't tell so. We'll, we'll wait to break the news here when we uh, when we can, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, no, looking forward to this uh, bit of the uh, schedule coming up. So uh, we got we got some time to wait 
until we see some modifieds back on the racetrack, though. Um, I think we are all caught up on King of the 360s. News. Oh, that's right. I was like, I'm trying to let, go through my list of what's missing here. I uh, want to wrap us. Uh, you want to rapid fire through that for us? Uh, sure. Ryan Timms won it. Liam Martin was the only local. I think, yeah, Liam and Ryan Turner were the only two local boys there. Uh, Ryan didn't make it. Uh, he was in the transfer spot in the B main and got nipped by Wayne Johnson on a late restart. If it wasn't for the caution, Ryan probably wouldn't have made it. And Liam won that B main. So he's, I think he went 21st to 14th. Uh, yeah. Ryan Timms kicked their butt. He went from like 15th to the win. Uh, it was a pretty good race on the Saturday. And the other nights, I don't think I, there was a big wreck, I think. in the Yeah, Peck got big wreck on the final night. That's how I was only really paying attention to locals for the most part. Ryan got his first flip out of the way on the one of the prelim nights. <laughs> Blew me away that nine years went by in a sprint car that he never flipped. Yeah, that's pretty wild. That's a pretty f- long streak to have without flipping. So, uh, yeah, I'm impressed. Back in the early hammer down us weekend days, you weren't going to be able to go nine years. I don't know. A little tougher then, but. Now that it's smooth and slick all the time, it's a little easier. Like D-Dub's never wrecks either. Although he yeah, did this true. year. I was going to say, he had one pretty big one while leading last, the, at uh, Oshrika yeah. this year. So. That was all by himself, too. That was, that was yep. one of his first ones. Yep. Um, obviously, uh, st- stock car pavement racing is back in a big way. Daytona 500, who got delayed a little bit. But uh, did you end up watching? Because uh, you called me out for arguing online. Because I did. I've seen multiple people complain about this race, and I thought it was one of the better 500s that we've had in the last 15 years, 10 years. So I don't know. Well, to me, like I said to you, when it rained out on Sunday, I had the crew boys over, and we put on the 2001 Daytona 500 just because I said, let's watch the day when NASCAR died with Dale. And, but the rate, like the package back then, that was with the little wicker bill on the roof, and like the, Race the plate race before the 2001 Daytona 500 was I'm pretty sure the first or second race for that package, and that's Dale Senior's last win when he went 18th to the win in the last four laps. Mm-hmm. So to me, that package is a little better than what we got now. But what we got now, it's essentially instead of the one train, it's two trains in a row where it's kind of hard to move, which yeah. is better than watching one train. I will admit, I'd rather see them two by two, but. I just wish we could get the lanes to move a little more like they did back in 2001. Back then, like the lanes would move. You'd be able to cut down. There was a lot more chopping between the lanes and different leaders. So yeah, it seemed close, like, but that old a little package, still... I was going to say that old package, it had, like, had said, like a better air bubble, you know, like there was more, <laughs> more gaps yeah, that, that you had to Wicker manage Bill between the completely broke the air. Yeah, exactly. And you couldn't just pull hole. up and, and push, right? Which is where we see a lot yeah. of guys get in trouble, right? Um, you know, push has gone wrong. The other thing is these cup cars have curved back, like curved bumpers now. I don't know who thought that was going to be a good idea, but uh, that's obviously not going to work well when you're trying to push, but that's a whole other story. But I, overall, I thought it was good. There was strategy. You know, a lot of people are talking about how, they, how it sucked that they were going so slow for fuel mileage. And I was like, this is fascinating. It's like, like, have you ever watched the Indy 500? Half of that race is fuel strategy and, and trying to say There's save one thing that bugs me about Daytona, though. What? How slow the pole speed is. The fact that it was faster in 1955. Woof. Yeah. Woof. That's it was tough. faster with a flathead engine in there. That's tough look. I yeah, can't that... stand that one. They should let them turn it up for qualifying. I'd rather that. Like, let them one car it, like, tune that 
MF her up and hit 200. And then when it's time to draft, make them tune it back down or something. But it's the problem with impounding, right? Oh, I know. I feel like you could get a Corvette to go that fast around Daytona. Like, yeah. No, I, I kind of want to see some not maybe not maybe not record speeds, but I'd like to see them pushing up against like 195, 200. Wait. Beat Bill's uh, record. <laughs> I'd like to see uh, what they could go if they opened them up around Daytona. Easily 220. Well, I mean, probably at this point, with the, especially with the amount of like aerodynamics on those cars. Well, now. maybe I not mean, with the horsepower. If yeah, if you opened them up and gave them like old Gen Four horsepower, yeah, they were hitting two ten at Michigan back in the day. Yeah, because I don't even think they're restrictor there. plates anymore. I think they're tapered spacers. I think that are on there. So yeah. if you took the tapered know, spacer I, out, yeah, yeah, I think yeah. they'd easily hit two two twenty. I think they yeah. should let them do that for the single car qualifying. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm horrible. not against it. Not seen an it. old '55 Chevy with a quicker Daytona 500 time like crazy. Yeah, I, I, I think they might, uh, they might look at it at the very least, but we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. But either way, I thought it was a good race. Um, if you watch racing and if you watch racing, I honestly thought time, they were going to wreck more. Yeah, I so did I. For more wrecks. Yeah, the fact they made it all the way to like eight laps to go, and everyone's like, "Oh, I can't stand this wrecking." It's like. That's been pack racing since even 2001. I mean, oh. was the was 2001 not when Tony Stewart did basically the same maneuver as what's his face in the truck race did this week too, where he flipped over and like landed on another car before coming back down on all fours? Like, I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure that was the same 500 before Dale unfortunately passed. So, yeah, well, the big one's been a thing regardless of what package you want. The only way to not have a big one is to go back to tandem. I know the problem was. Like in the recent years at Daytona and Talladega, I felt like there's been five or six big ones where back in the day there really was only the one. Mm-hmm. And where it like seems recently there'd been three, four, like hell, it's, it's seen sometimes. It, remember that one the cars are tougher. where they wrecked the whole field? Yeah. It is the cars are tougher too. The cars are tougher. Yeah. So you, like there are guys who are bouncing off each other. And as long as you don't bend anything in the suspension, you get, you get to keep <sighs> going. So. I, yeah, I think that's the reason why, because other crashes would be like 25 cars get taken out at one time and you might be able to tape it back together, kind of, but you'd probably lose 14 laps and you'd probably be off the pace. So whatever. Right. Other, so the other thing about Daytona, the finish was BS. Give OK, I wanted to actually ask third. you. Well, I wanted to ask you about the that finish, because that's something that I've seen multiple different dirt tracks have different rulings on and. I don't mind next flag ends the race. If you take the white flag and you get a yellow, I don't think you really need to line them up again. Like, I'm sorry. I just don't think you'd need to. Maybe there's a more of an argument at a dirt track because you only have one scoring loop to go off of. But I think overall more that NASCAR is usually so quick on the yellow button. And this one, they were like, ah, 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 ah. That's well, okay. I I read their explanation. A slow was, on the yellow button. Uh, their explanation yeah. was they were waiting to see if the two car was going to stay down or if it was going to come back up into traffic. And as soon as it turned right to come back up towards the rest of the field, they were like, "Okay." Translation: we, we were really hoping we could get the Hendrick wins on the 40th or whatever anniversary it was to the day of whatever it was of Hendrick Motorsports' opening story, and they got it. Yeah, well, either way, it was going to be Bowman or Byron, so it didn't really matter how it was going to play out. Byron was going to. Either give up the lead to Bowman, who's getting a push, or like, you know. I still say William Byron looks an awful lot like the Hendricks. Yeah, yeah. Here we go with your there's conspiracy little, theories. There's a little similar. There's a little bit, you know. 
little similarities <laughs> there. Almost like Jeff Gordon looking like Mr. H these days. Yeah, he's doing like a like an animorph. Like, is it like a requirement those, those if you books. run HMS, you have to wear a vest? Apparently. Apparently. I think so. I don't know. <laughs> White t-shirt, dark khakis, and a vest. It's the uh, standard issue uniform of all executives on the branch, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I wanted to, we should probably shout out a couple of things. Um, I got to jump into our email here real quick because, uh, we are going to be back at Motorama this year. Uh, we are going to be live doing a show and I believe we are going to be at the 4, 10 PM slot on, uh, on March 9th. So if you are thinking of going to Motorama this year and you're looking to, uh, you know, Go get, get a fix of some dirt show racing. Up. Pack yeah. the seats at our show. Yeah, we were one of the busier shows leave. last year. We were one that of the busier is, yeah. shows last year, so I would really uh, appreciate the support. And uh, yeah, we're going to be doing a live podcast from Motorama uh, on uh, March 9th around four o'clock. So uh, there's your there's your warning. We'll keep promoting that and uh, lock in some more details as they come along. But uh, yeah, we're. Closing in on Motorama, which is super exciting. We'll probably have to catch up with our uh, our pal Greg McPherson from Inside Track to talk about Motorama and all things uh, racing in that awesome uh, publication that I've contributed to and written some stories about. Uh, and also, uh, one more plug here before we get to uh, Ryan Hunsinger. Um, this podcast dropping on a Friday. If you are in the Niagara region, especially Niagara Falls on Friday night, you can come down to uh, Camp Cataract and I will be performing. Uh, I'm going to be uh, playing guitar and singing some songs, doing some cover tunes, some originals, and uh, performing with uh, my pals, The Cocktails. So come out to that show. I think, Travis, you're coming down for that show. So uh, I'm coming. The other time. Travis is coming. I think Beef's coming. Yeah. My two crew guys are coming. We're all going to be there. Show up. Let's go. Be loud for Jonathan. We're going to be, be loud sick. in the cocktails. For, and I, for I think I'm even going to have some merch available. I'm going to have some stickers for purchase to, to help me pay for my uh, my uh, EP to drop. Some, some new music coming your way. So if you like the tunes that you hear on this podcast, generally they are my own actual songs. So uh, and That's so my favorite part about released. our podcast. I've said it before. Johnny's yeah. playing that song. You're, yeah. Doesn't Kyra say, Kyra say it's she like we. Oh no, she said that when you were on stage, but like she thinks it plays too long to open the show. But I would I agree so. if it wasn't you playing. She does have that opinion, but it's promotion. If it was for myself. just some, if it was just some random plug doing it, I would agree with her. But because it's you, we should make it longer. <laughs> yeah, maybe when <laughs> maybe when the full song comes out, we'll like put it in one episode or something like that. But uh, either way. A lot of good racing talk to uh, to to have. It's great to be back in racing season. Uh, great to see some of our locals having some success. Shout out to Matt Williamson. Shout out to James Friesen again. And uh, let's get to part two of Ryan Hunsinger on the Southern Ontario Dirt Show podcast. I mean, if you want, if you want to supply us with an engine, Travis, we could run some three sixty races. Don't tempt him. I'm not supplying you with it, <laughs> but if you, there's a lot like people like Kevin Paul's just bought Krutchka's motor for like fifteen thousand dollars or something. Like that's only five thousand more than a crate, and like you see some for like seventeen US, and I'd hook you up with a cheaper rebuild. Like I wouldn't throw used parts in the garbage like lots of engine builders do. Let's just say that. 
just so they can bang you 30% on the new parts. But you know what I'm saying? I know what you're saying. I'll give you a good. I don't know, Travis. What I'm hearing is that I'm hearing a guy who's pretty content with the amount of man hours that he has to put into a race car already. And, you know, I, I, there's no different man hours though. There's no different man hours between a crate and I think to run at the level that Matt and Ryan would want to run at, I think they would have to end up putting in a little extra. What's different. You put what's different. I, I, I mean, like you still have to do engine maintenance. You still have to do car maintenance. What would be? The I don't difference? know. I think I, you know, Ryan, you can probably speak to this better as from the car owner standpoint. But from like my understanding, like, and I, I don't think there's like a massive jump between crates and three sixties in in that way. But I think it's just the amount that the amount that the regular guys who run three sixty really think about their race car. I just feel like there's just like a different level. And I think going back to what you were saying earlier, Ryan, about how anybody can kind of jump into the crate class and, um, you know, be an average Joe and still drive a race car on the weekends for fun or for the competitive spirit, whatever. I just think there's something about that 360 division that takes a little extra to be at the top of your game. And I, and I don't see you and Ron, you and Matt just running around at the back and being content. And I know you guys would want to go out there and be competitive. And I just think, that, that that takes a lot of or that takes maybe a little extra effort compared to what the crate guys are doing right now. Yeah, I, I would probably disagree and I would agree with Travis in terms of the effort. Like I know last summer, like I've never worked harder on a race car. Like I had everything. The championships are they're great. Don't get me wrong, like running for points. I mean, there's good points and bad points, but the stress, like especially when you're leading, like I had my whole race car part, like looking at stuff with a magnifying glass, like, and, <laughs> okay. you know, like it's just, and so I, I don't know that there's, I, I, I mean, I, I can agree with you and disagree with you because I don't know that there would be a lot more work, but I also agree that it's a different level. And like, logistically, Matt lives three, four hours one way and Jeff lives that's Jeff lives three, thing. four hours the other way. And so that's what t- we always say. Like if we, if we all lived close to each other, we could race 40, 50 times a year, you know, but I don't know. Like, I want to say this, like those people that you mentioned, like you, your team, and then Latticeur and then Bardier, if those three teams lived in Hamilton, I could see them moving to 360 because it's easy. And every week you can run or like, you know what I mean? It's like up the road. But you guys live in Brockville, so the crates is easier. And then you're near Toronto, so that way you would have to drive. You know what I mean? That's kind of different, too. Because all those three teams would be good to enough to run 360 and get top fives and maybe contend for wins in, if they got their stuff together on a night. You know what I mean? Yeah, it'd be – I mean, if someone if someone wanted to help us with an engine, I'm not, I'm not saying we couldn't do it. Like, I have two cars. I have – my stuff is not all brand new, but I have good stuff. I have – two complete cars it's just i have one engine um someone i have a a car that's ready to go like i could it's literally race ready minus the engine so i mean if someone if someone wanted to help us with the 360 then it's not something i would say no to because because i agree i think i i think we could do okay too i don't want to sound too cocky about it but i think that i don't know that we would go and and be competing for wins the first time we race it, but I also know that the way our team works together and I just, I think we could, I think we're capable of it anyways, of, of competing for wins. It's just, 
like I said, it's it's a tough one because we're pretty happy racing the crate. Sometimes you got to stay where the happiness is. That's yeah. what I've learned from talking to other drivers that have moved up and down and all that sort of stuff. But what do I know? I just talk about the race cars. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but you're, you're right though. Like, like when I would like everybody wants always wants to move up, always wants to move up. And you know what is like, I, I talked. I try to talk to some of the young, or I've talked to some of the young crate guys, and I've told them like it's, it's great. Like all, like all racing's great, but it's not the be all and end all to go run a three sixty. Like it's, there's nothing wrong with running a crate. But I think maybe because I've raced a 360, maybe it's easy for me to say. Because then if I think about myself as a young guy, like a younger guy, like, of course, I would want to move up to 360. But I just think some people focus so much on wanting to move up and wanting to move up. And sometimes there's nothing wrong with with where you're at. Like, I mean, this is my, my friends sometimes say that I'm getting old and sentimental, but <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you, I'll you tell are. You. All of us that anybody that races a race car, whether you race a mini stock or anything, all of us are living our childhood dreams. And there's not many people that can say that. And so I can look back on my racing career. Oh, yeah. I can look back on my racing career and say, I won. I don't even know how many races I've won. Like, I don't know. In total, I've won just under 20 sprint car races between 360 and crate. And anyways, that's not the point but i can look back and say man i i only got to win like around 50 races or however many races i've won but then i could also i could also look at the other side and say like how many people when they're a little kid like when they're seven years old watching race cars how many people can or doing anything like when you're when you're seven years old or like a little kid your dreams are so far-fetched like i want to be an astronaut or i want to do this and so so few people actually get to do it so if you put it in that perspective and look at it like all of us are lucky because all of us basically are living out our childhood dreams like it it doesn't matter if you race a mini stock or a crate or a 360 like we're all just lucky to be able to do what we to be able to do it right because it's such a neat thing and the other thing like like i said my friends say that i'm getting old and sentimental but when you're i found i find when you're young like it's all about the trophies and you want to rack up the wins and pile up the wins and stuff. But as you get old, you realize that the trophies are just pieces of plastic, right? Like, and it's more <laughs> about like the people that you meet and the friends that you've made. Like I'm still friends with, with people that I raced go-karts with 40 years ago. And I still talk to a lot of like, there's a handful of them that I talk to on a regular basis. And so like, I don't even know where the trophies are from that. I won go-kart racing, but I, but I have those friends. And so, like I said, I, as you get older, you realize like there's just far more to it than trophies. And just the fact that I got to race, I consider myself very lucky. And I'm, I, there's so many great people in racing. Like it's just a really, really cool thing to be, to be part of. And I'm really lucky that I got to do it because that's all I wanted to do when I was a little kid. Amen. Well, I feel like, uh, you know what, Travis, I don't know if you got anything else for Ryan, but we've come to a point. Oh, what oh, do you want to get into? We're trying to split it into two episodes. Well, you, we already, I just, he's got to give us a Cayuga, another okay, Cayuga, Cayuga story Cayuga or two. Story. Just give us one or two more, <laughs> please. If you really want to kill some time, I have lots of stories, but I, I hey, have give you ever had a driver on this two, show? Like, 
I want this one specific. specifically. What? what? Sorry. Have go. you ever had a driver on this show that's raced wearing a disguise under an alias? I don't think so. No. No. So when I was racing mini stocks when I was a kid, so there was this racetrack called Ridge, Ridge, the Ridge, and it was in Ridgetown. So yeah, I went up there with my mini stock, and there was like guy the the local guys right they were kind of bullies and like i said i was young and probably probably cocky and a punk so i got a flat tire and i came i think i restarted in like 26 then i got up to second and then the the it was something to do with the incident with the flat tire so the one local guy like wanted to beat me up and there was a big there was a big um ruckus so then I went back again and it was the same thing. Like, um, like I said, when I, when you're young, like some of the older guys give you a hard time anyways. And then I went into this, this racetrack and they just didn't like me. Right. So the track owner just said, you're banned. Don't come back. Cause every time you come, there's, there's problems, whether you're causing them or not, whatever, just, just don't need you here. So the following <laughs> year we saw a race advertised at the Ridge Speedway. And I think it was like 2,500 to win. And so my car owner said, we're going to go to this race. And I said, well, I can't go there because I'm banned. So he said, we'll call the track owner. And he's like, no, no, no. It's a, no, I told you, don't come back. It's whatever. So then we decided that we, that I was going to race with a disguise. So, (laughs) so I dyed my hair and I had all this stick on facial hair. And we painted, so I had my friend's ID just in case they asked for ID. And we painted his name on the roof of the race car. And we went there and I signed I signed in at the racetrack wearing, I think I had like a cowboy hat or something dumb like that. <laughs> dumb like that. And so I raced at Ridgetown um, wearing a disguise. And I, I talked to, I, I mean, it would have been a, it'd be a much better story if I won the race, but I, I think I cut a tire there and. I can't remember, maybe finished third or fourth, but I really don't, don't remember. But I know after the race, um, I talked to some people, some people would come over and talk to me. And then I went to change after, and I realized that the stick on facial hair that I put on for my disguise was, (laughs) it came off. So it was like all over my race suit and my neck. (laughs) (laughs) I had no idea that was, that was, uh, like I said, we were all crazy, but in terms of Cuga stories, I don't know. I, I will tell you. I want the one like, were you there the day Earnhardt flew in on the helicopter or whatever? Give us the Earnhardt story. Give me, give me an Earnhardt story. I love Dale. Do it for Dale. I was there. I know. Um, yeah, I was there that day. I would have been really, really young, but I, that's the race that he flew on the helicopter started last and won, right? I believe. Something like, like that. A, yeah. I wasn't even born, but you were alive. I'm jealous of even you being alive. <laughs> yeah, that was like 82 maybe or 81. So I would have been five or six. I was yeah. there, but I vaguely remember it. Yeah. I know Daryl Waltrip, when he raced, um, we have pictures of like my sister. She's like a foot tall with Daryl Waltrip. And he was over at my grandparents' house. And we have pictures with him like. And Bobby Allison used to go over there. And like I said, like you, do, you can never appreciate something like that when you're six years old. And then you think back now and it's like, holy cow, like it's, I, I was so lucky to be able oh, to shit. do that stuff. But 
um, yeah, that you, you think of like the, the ASA guys when I was a kid, that series, like you just think of the guys that came out of there and even the guys that didn't make it to NASCAR, like it's all the legends of short track racing and it's just absolutely amazing. The, some of the names that raced out there and I, I got to, uh, I got to, I got introduced to the, a lot of them or I got a, I have a picture of myself and Ken Schrader. I was like 13, I think. So there's a picture of Ken Schrader and I up in the tower at Cuga. And I remembered I'd, I was like, oh, what do I need to do to be a race car driver? I want to be a race car driver so bad. So um, when he came to a Schwiegen, I guess it would have been, I don't know, 10 years ago or whatever. So I got another picture with him and I showed him the picture and he signed it. That was a, that's not a very good story for your show, but that's, that's a good story for me personally. <laughs> I like that story. <laughs> the other thing. We've had Trader on. You what, sir? Schrader, we've had him on when he was at Merrittville for like, we had a quick, John had yeah, a quick we got interview him for with five, him. Five, so. ten minutes. It was, he's been always super nice and super cordial anytime you get around. He's just one of those guys. And I remember saying, I remember talking to him about his days with like Hendrick because I'm such a Hendrick Motorsports guy and fan. And he's like, oh, you know, we weren't fast enough. And I'm like, well, you're fast enough to get your die cast reissued this year. And you've, he's got like all these poles and all these wins at Talladega and stuff. And I'm like, I don't know, man. I was, that was like, kind of like, come on, dude, you're, you're a legend. I think some of those guys are, you, you forget how humble they can be because to you and to me and all oh, of us, all drivers are too well, hard. We all on just themselves. put them up on such high pedestals all the time. And then, you know, they're just, they're not any yeah. different from you guys where, you know, they run top five and they feel like they could have finished third. They're upset with themselves and, and nothing changes no matter what level you're at. Yeah. And yeah. And that's, that's like I was talking about with perspective, like, He's hard on himself like that, but he made the he he made it a career, right? He made NASCAR. He won some NASCAR races, and that's pretty cool that he got to do that because he was a dirt guy, right? He started in USAC. He was the USAC Sprint Car Champion, I think, in nineteen eighty two yep. or eighty three, and then I think has one World of Outlaw win, one singular, but one, and like a bunch of USAC Sprint wins, and like you said, the Sprint, the Silver Crown Championship. Yeah, and he's yeah he's still racing. Like he's got to be almost seventy, wouldn't he be? Oh, he's got to be getting close, yeah. I think. Yeah. Late 60s, yeah, I think. or over. Yeah. I don't know. Like, it seems like, like I was telling you, like, I just got to the point where I, I don't know what happened to me, but I was just scared of sprint cars, right? But there's some guys that it, I mean, it happens to everybody eventually. It's just the age kind of varies, right? Like, between 40 and 50 seems to be the common time, I guess. But, like, then you see guys like him or like McKnight, like, mcknight like could go and win a super modified race tomorrow i think and he's he's in his 60s um and and he's not scared of anything like he's completely nuts still but yeah Yeah, it's it's one of those things too and yeah i I mean like i've never really driven all that much at a high level or anything but uh, i've had concussions and i can't imagine you know going through those kind of injuries and, and trying to recover from that sort of stuff and then wanting to get back in a race car. Like I definitely could relate to the idea of hitting a point where you're like, you know, I'm just not at my peak. And if I'm not at my peak, how much fire do I really have to do this? Right. Yeah. So 2014, actually I came back and drove the crate car for Hills. And then, um, Andy Macrath had a 
second midget. So Mac Demand was driving one, and then they had a second one. Um, and so I had always wanted to race a midget since I was a little kid, and so I was running that car a little bit, and it was at Peterborough, and I remember, so it was in Hot Labs, and I remember. I remember like I was on the front stretch. I remember going through one and two and then I don't really, it, I remember just being burned. Right. And so Mm -hmm. my wife had, my wife told me you're too big for that damn race car. Like what, what's wrong with you? Like, why are you even racing it? And I didn't listen to her, which I clearly should have. But, um, cause she said, if anything happens, you'll never be able to get out because, because it's a, such a small car. But so, I was burning and I, I could feel like my leg melting and it was, it was, I would not wish it on anybody. Like it was just horrible. But so what had happened is a water line, a water line, an O-ring or something broke in a water line and it just started dumping hot water all over me. Like, like my upper legs and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's so weird because like everything slows down. Like it's, was probably i don't know 30 seconds but it seemed like it was like 30 hours like everything slows down and then i had a cam lock belt system so i was like writhing and trying to get out and i was trying to unhook the belt so i thought i was burning but i was it was water but i i i thought i was burning with like fire right i didn't know what was going on because just like the the reaction of your body like going into shock or whatever so Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was turning the cam lock belt and it wouldn't release. And then I finally got it off. So I thought, like I said, I thought I was on fire, like with flames in the car. And I was, my first reaction was to get the heck out. And then I couldn't get the steering wheel off. And and then the crazy thing is I got on the racetrack, I got out and I, and nobody came over. And I was like, where the hell is everybody? Like, where's the safety crew? But then I realized after that it, like I thought I was burning with flames, right? But then I realized I probably looked like friggin' Ricky Bobby, you know, like when he's running around. <laughs> because <laughs> I totally looked like Ricky Bobby. Like the grandstands were full. It was hot laps. There. And so there's a guy gets out of his car and he's like rolling around, but I wasn't even on fire. But anyways, after that, that changed me a lot because I had, it affected me really badly mentally. Like, um, I just probably wasn't the same after that. And I, you know, what's funny too, is like, I think if you get out of the car on your own will, then you don't miss it because there's a lot of guys I talk to where, I don't know, they lost their sponsor and they had to quit racing, but then they want to do it. And even, even the breaks that I've taken, I wanted to do it so bad. I wanted to do it so bad. And then there's guy, like you talk to a guy and he's like, I can never go back to a racetrack. Like, there, I, I've never been back to a racetrack since I quit. Well, I love going to the races and I don't even think about driving anymore. It's not even something that crosses my mind. I, I'm grateful that I got to do it and I had some success and that's great, but I go to as many racetracks as I can. Like if we go on vacation, I go to try to go to a different racetrack and watch, like I was a race fan long before I was a race car driver. And so I love going to the, and so I think there's, I think there's something to be said about making the decision to stop on my own. Like I didn't stop because I started a family or I didn't stop because I lost my sponsor. I stopped because I was like, I've had enough of this. And so I think I'm, it helps me be at peace with it. Cause like I said, I, 
I could care less about ever driving a race car ever again. I I would probably drive like a like a street stock, a pavement street stock or something. Maybe I I would I would I would probably consider doing something like that or a mini stock, like maybe once or twice just to try it. But in terms of a sprint car, I've I've had my fill and I'm not uh, not really interested in doing that anymore. Hit him with the question, right, Johnny. Well, this is kind of a, a great question for you because you've driven so many different things. But we like to ask one last question here before uh, you know we get to our end of our interview section. So, Ryan, I got to ask you uh, one one type of race car, one race car, one racetrack to drive at for the rest of your life, whatever it may be. It could be something you've driven in the past. It can be something that you've never had the chance to drive that you always wanted to. Just one, uh, one race car, one racetrack to drive at for the rest of your life. I don't know. That's, I knew you were going to ask this question because I've watched your show, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I, I don't know. That's, that's a really good question. Like I've driven 10 or 12 different divisions of cars and I honestly think like I probably Cayuga Speedway and probably a Thunder car on bias ply tires. And I know Ooh. that sounds crazy because I've raced, um, I've raced a lot of different things, but like racing the street stock when I was young on, and that was before radial tires. So bias ply tires and at Cuga Speedway, it was such a challenge. It was some of the, probably definitely in the top three of anything I've ever driven. So I honest, I think that I would choose as crazy as it sounds like a street stock on bias ply tires at Cuga Speedway because that was like that was one of my favorite cars that I've ever driven. Probably well, not an answer that's that a... you expected. Like nobody ever picks a street stock, but no. But I mean, that's kind of what makes this unique. Like I love it, and especially from somebody who's driven so much. Like you've got perspective to say why that's a good pick. So I like it. Yeah, that was that was uh, some of the best times of my life. Like, I raced against uh, Jake and Mitch Brown's dad and his grandpa. Like, his grandpa was a legend. I raced raced against him and Steve Book. And I, I mean, the people were great too. But like, like I said, nobody ever probably picks a street stock. But that's that's probably what I would pick because that's and even on i racing, I think street stocks on pavement are my favorite cars to drive. I like it. Good, you can join our league that I'm thinking of. I want to join. I want to start like street stocks, but do dumb stuff with them, like dumb Texas infield road course, then Daytona or Charlotte, and all the dumb stuff. I'm I'm in. I'm all for dumb stuff, especially if it doesn't hurt when I crash. And in I racing, I can just hit the switch and turn it off and go upstairs. So yeah, I'll join it. I I haven't really been on I racing much. Uh, we moved in. I know you needed to join the BRC. I know I raced a few races with you last year and I had a blast, but aside from not knowing how to do that communication thing, what's that thing called that you guys use? Discord. Yeah. I'm not a boomer, but I I created an account. You're close. I, I just couldn't figure out how to use the discord thing. So, but yeah, the, uh, I hadn't, I raced since last spring and then I hooked up my rig, uh, maybe a week or two ago. And so I've been playing around with it. Yeah. I'll join, I'll join a street stock league. Sure. There you go, Travis. You're getting the wheels turning. 
I'm just thinking of like not even a league, just having dumb races. <laughs> but like me, I want to do a Daytona 500 with the Gen 4 because John's never called the Daytona 500. So that's the <laughs> he's get. hey, I mean, you never know. <laughs> you never know. You never know. I, I at least right I won't. Well, I mean, really I won't get to call, call a Gen 4, but yeah, if you really want to call the Daytona 500, I think. 25% of the people watching call some of it, like with their TV on mute, you know? You can just oh, put yeah. your TV on mute and do it by yourself. Yeah. I had to do that once. I can remember where I was watching, I think it was like a Richmond race last year or two years ago. And for whatever reason, Fox's audio cut out. So I was like, well, I guess I could just practice calling the race from what I see on a monitor. <laughs> there you go. That's probably what some of the, like some of the broadcasters have to do is watch a monitor, right? Maybe not racing, but. I think probably like, uh, most of them. I mean, least, I'm I pretty sure all the ARCA, all the ARCA broadcasts, all the truck series stuff, that's all done out of a Charlotte studio. They're not even at the track anymore, right? So, hmm. Yeah, ARCA, I don't think anyone over 17 is yeah. allowed in the pit area. Except for Andy J. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, Ryan. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for giving us a, a solid hour's worth of stories and material here. Uh, this is definitely going to be a, a two-parter, so... We appreciate uh, your time. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for telling stories. And uh, good luck with uh, 2024 and everywhere that you guys end up uh, taking that uh, 52 machine to uh, this year. Yeah, thank you. We're looking forward to it. And Travis, just let me know when I can pick that engine up and I'll... (laughs) And the checkered is out on another episode of the Southern Ontario Dirt Show presented by Oshweekin Speedway and Bicknell Racing Products. Like what you hear? rate review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts connect with us on facebook at southern ontario dirt show or find us on instagram twitter and tiktok at sods underscore pod have a question for the show email us southern ontario dirt show at gmail.com thanks for supporting local racing in southern ontario and we'll see you at the track